As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Join us this Saturday for an all-new episode of The Athletic NBA Show. Saturday Slam and Jam, hosted by me, Andrew Schlecht. I'll be joined by my co-hosts Alex Spears and many of the athletic beat writers that you know and love. We will recap the week of the NBA, play some NBA trivia, and just overall talk about the league that we love most. So while you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee on Saturday morning, listen to Saturday Slam and Jam on the Athletic NBA Show. Yo! It's Zach Harper, host of the Basketball Buds, right here on the Athletic NBA Show. Join me and the fellas, Waz, Trey, Jay, and Dave, for a new episode every Monday morning. What's Jay King going to say that lights the podcast on fire? What's that problematic envelope that Waz is going to keep pushing every single Monday? Tune in to find out. That's every Monday morning right here on the Athletic NBA Show. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on the Athletic Podcast Network. Coming up on today's show, we look back at some of the deals from last week's deadline and see if we've changed our opinion on them. We also talk about overscouting March Madness and some crunch time issues that are prevailing in today's NBA. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo Dekeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Partnow. Welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. It's Friday, and that means, you guessed it, it's Nerder She Wrote. I'm Dave DeFore, joined as I am every single week by Seth and Mo. What is up, fellas? I know everyone is ready to get to April. It means we're closer to the playoffs. It's April 1st as we're recording this. No April Fool's jokes today, though, right? Well, I, was, I had them all lined up, Dave. Let me just throw them out now. They're the worst. <laughs> They're the worst. I'm sorry. I was going to tell you guys I've changed my mind on the Elam ending, the whole thing. Like, I was ready to go, Dave. I'm not going to lie. Well, happy New Year's. I'm I'm, – I'm still not entirely certain Roy Williams is retiring. No. Why would you ever announce anything on <laughs> April Fool's Day? And also, it's also the one day of the year we all decide to be critical about what we see on the internet. Like, come on. <laughs> what are we doing? We need to treat every day like it's April Fool's Day on the internet. Uh, anyway, all right. So, guys, uh, we've had a week now since the trade deadline. We've seen some of these guys playing with their new teams. Uh, we've seen nobody new playing for Orlando. Uh, they did get a big win against the Clippers, uh, thanks to Michael Carter-Williams. But after a week, are your initial impressions vastly different than the way you feel today? Like, I kind of feel pretty much the same, and and so far, things have worked out pretty closely to how I thought they might, but I'm really curious about you guys. Mo, I mean, we we talked Nuggets too much on the I'm, ding this week, and, and you were like, oh my God, I've already talked about the Nuggets so much, but the Nuggets really do look like a different team just by plugging in one guy. They do, and we'll see tonight, uh, unfortunately, be when you guys are... When people are listening to it, it'll be after the fact, but they'll play the Clippers tonight, and that's kind of really their first big test of this group, even though I don't think Paul George will be playing. the. the but it's the first real like, okay, this is a really good team. 
that they're going to be playing against and a team they yeah. might have to face in the playoffs. And we'll see how Aaron Gordon holds up guarding Kawhi Leonard and things like that. So we're going to get kind of their first test, but it's looked great the first two games. And I mean, that was never a trade I was going to be worried about. I'm glad you mentioned Aaron Gordon guarding Kawhi because see, this is the important thing to remember. The offensive end of the court really wasn't the problem for them. And and that fit just makes total sense to me with Aaron Gordon. But the defensive end is the part that I think people have been overlooking Seth because Paul Millsap is kind of a shell of himself. You know, the last two years we've watched this, this decline. And now he's been put into a position where he's playing more of a backup five. He's going to play probably uh, quite a bit with Aaron Gordon out there in smaller lineups. And I think by doing that and shuffling in, you know, a more versatile defender at this point in his career, they have really uh, allowed the ceiling for their defense to, to go up a notch. I think it's that. And it's also something I think for two years we've been saying, what are they short when it comes to playoff? And it's you, you mentioned like Aaron Gordon guarding Kawhi. They haven't had a big wing defender with the possible exception of Torrey Craig, who you know, gave away enough on offense that that he, you know, it wasn't it wasn't clear that he was a net positive for them. And now, just having a guy who incredibly, you know, guard the Kawhis, the Paul Georges, you know, Jeremy Grant did okay on LeBron in last year's playoffs, but uh, obviously replacing that was important. And you know, that allows Michael Porter Jr. to not have to take on a tough defensive assignment. It allows. Uh, probably allows them to play a smaller backcourt more, allows them to play, you know, Jamal Murray and Monte Morris together a little bit more. And these are all good things for, you know, Denver and their versatility as a team, you know, heading into playoff matchups. Mo, how do you feel about how they're using Gordon to start? Like, it, it seems like a lot of times after a trade for a player like Aaron Gordon, who is, you know, he's been number one or two option in Orlando for the last few years now, probably two behind Vooch, but often is running the offense, initiating the offense. In Denver so far, they're not running a ton of plays for him. They're really letting him kind of come in, feel his way through the offense, learn how to play around those guys. Do you feel like that's a smart move? No, I, like I think it. you have to. I mean, part of it is, listen, here's the thing too. Mike Malone has to know what he has in Aaron Gordon. It's one thing to scout a player. It's one thing to always get ready to coach against them and, and, and watch them on tape and things like that. It's once you get them, now you start understanding the things. Where does he like the ball? How does he like to move? Oh, he can do this. Oh, I thought he could do this, but no, he can't. Or he thinks he can do this. We need to get him to not do this. And and it's all of those things. It's the small institutional knowledge that's going to take time for Mike Malone to figure out, you know? And and this is why kind of we always talk about in-season trades are actually difficult for coaches because you got to, during season try to figure out how to what this guy can do and what's the best way to utilize him so now they're figuring it out on the fly so I think this is the perfect role for him he's not a guy you need to run plays for I think you know his ability to cut and all of that is going to help with a passer like Jokic and make things easier his ability to make that next pass is going to be really big for that team offensively and he's a smart player so he's going to be able to flow into these things pretty easily and the Nuggets make it easy with kind of how they play well, and the way they move the ball and they're constantly looking for guys cutting on the backside. I mean, you've added another lob threat right now. You've got Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon, who are both very physical and smart, adept cutters who also are pretty good at catching lobs. And then Michael Porter is a flamethrower from deep. So I don't know, man, like that offense, I, I trust it in, in the playoffs. The defense is, I think, where all the questions lie and where they have all year. Aaron Gordon, though, to me, like I've already watched him defending well in their system. You know, he, he's a smart helper. He doesn't overcommit. You, you rare, very rarely see him get burned backdoor. And I think those kind of little things on the margins are going to be huge. And then when you add that to adding a, a tremendous athlete, I mean, it's just a huge upgrade in the four spot in athleticism right now. And, I mean, I don't know, man, the Nuggets – I think they got a shot to make the finals because of Aaron Gordon. I mean, it really comes down to Lakers health. That's for me the the, the thing. If the Lakers aren't healthy going into the uh, the playoffs, and that's and it's really just two guys. 
if LeBron James and Anthony Davis are, 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 are not 100% going into the finals, it's a wide open field to me. I think that that's, that's even selling Denver a little short. I think that before this trade, they kind of needed that little bit of luck to go this way. I, I you know, I, I and everyone else would, would, would still pick the, the healthy Lakers over the Nuggets in a seven game series, but you got to give them more of a puncher's chance now than even against the healthy Lakers. Like, you know, we saw it in the, in the conference finals last year. That was not really, it was more competitive than a five game series, but it wasn't like, super competitive and i think that they are well, much but, better able to to hold up this year than they than they would have been before the trade well think about the playoffs and how much we say it, it rests on individual matchups so often well you look at the lakers and, and if they're healthy let's just say 100 percent health they have the two best players in a series against the nuggets the nuggets might have the next four though you know Jokic, murray porter gordon might be the next four best players. So, I mean, there's a little bit more balance there this year than I think last year. Remember, Jeremy Grant wasn't who Jeremy Grant showed us he was in the playoffs when the playoffs started yeah, last year. But, so, like, that was a complete surprise to us, too. But their two are so damn good. You know, it's oh, not yeah. like like when <laughs> yeah. you say the next four, like, I get it, and that's a great point, but it's also like, yeah, but those two. <laughs> it's like, meh. Sure. Yeah, they're going to. I still think they can coast if they come back healthy. Honestly, you might even say the Nuggets have the next six best. Like you start talking about who would you – Monte in there? Monte Morris, Will Barton. Like where Uh, do you put like KCP in there? I think – I think Schroeder, Dennis Schroeder is up there give, in that I, in that range. You guys will probably disagree, but I think Kuzma is up there in that range. Like I think he's I he's, been, he's been so good defensively, and he's shooting the ball really well this season, and things like that. Like I think he's he he's it's been impressive how good he's been defensively because that's something I was not expecting at all from Kuzma. Even after he did it in the playoffs, I was like, yeah, that was just playoffs, but he's brought it over. I never thought I'd hear Mo uh, give uh, Lakers propaganda. No, it's not propaganda. It's not. That one's not propaganda. Know, Come know, on, man. You know I'm anti. Usually it's usually it's only USC. That's propaganda. all I push. That's uh, all. Okay. I push. What about the? Yeah. What about the Bulls, guys? Because uh, you know they got Nikola Vucevic. They added a second All Star. That's look. He's a very good player. That's a big time move. Um, but they also got Daniel Tice, which is. You know, when you look at the Celtics center rotation now, they started Mo Wagner the other night. Uh, that's not great. Um, I think the Bulls made a really great move, and I know a lot of people are knocking them for the draft picks. But, you know, at some point, man, you have to shit or get off the pot. And the Bulls decided, hey, let's get <laughs> let's get down to business. And, and not only, I think, did it make them better this year, I think they're going to be better next year because of this. Because they're going to have a full season of, of Vooch next to Levine. When Levine figures out how to play with a guy like Vooch, I mean, this is probably the best player he's ever played with. Can we say that? I mean, he played with Towns for. (laughs) Okay, but I think Vooch is better right now than Towns, you know. Towns theoretically is good, but I think Vooch is actually a good player. I can't believe you're Um, taking these shots at Andrew I think this is a big deal for the Bulls. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can. I, I I think that I think we all can believe that. But but I think the Bulls. I, I think this was a good move for the Bulls. And I'm never gonna hammer a team for actually trying to get good players instead of theoretical good players. And, and I think that if you're the Bulls and you feel like it's important to make the playoffs this year, which why the hell wouldn't it be? You haven't made the playoffs in forever. This is a great move for them. I mean, it hasn't led to great results thus far. Um, and but I didn't really think it was about this year as much. Um, just the, the 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 standings are so jumbled, and yeah, maybe they make the playoffs, maybe they don't. But this is as much about um, you know they weren't going to do better than to sign Nikola Vucevic for for two years, forty six million dollars uh, with their free agency money this summer. They they just weren't. They weren't going to come close. So by making this trade, they've they've sort of pre spent that money. And adding a better player than they could have possibly added. Now it, you know, yeah, it cost them some stuff. Uh, the draft picks more than than really the players. I think that they that um, Wendell Carter is a player that I liked coming into the draft, and obviously is a guy who needs a a reset. But I think it's it's too narrow to look at this like through the lens of this year's performance for Chicago. Now, like it or don't, um, 
you know, that it depends on on how much you're a championship or bust guy. And I think we on the outside tend to think far more that way than actual teams whose livelihoods depend on this stuff do, for better or worse. I, I didn't mind the trade. I, I, I'm i fine with it. I'm fine with them trying to go for it and take swings and things like that. For me, it's really what comes next, right? Like, okay, Levine and Vucevic should be able to, at the very minimum, very minimum, get you in the play-in tournament for the next couple of years, right? Like, they you know, they, they probably can get you six. That would be a massive disappointment, I think, that, if, well, if that's the hence, best they do. very, yeah. very minimum. Yeah. Very, very minimum. Yeah. You didn't let me get to the best case, Seth. You just, you just always jump in the gun. Like, I, I just hope the cat attacks you right now. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the best case, you know, is, is this gets some home court advantage in the playoffs in the next couple of seasons. Probably not this year. I, I think I'm with Seth. This is more of a view move forward for looking forward to next season and, and so on. But for me, it's what's the next move? Are they, you know, I don't off the top of my head, don't know their cap space numbers or anything like that, but can they make a run at Lonzo ball in restricted free agency or something like what, what's coming next? I like those two pieces together, but I need more for them to be championship or kind of level stuff. And I don't know if ball gets you there, but I like that they're going for it. You know, and, and and it's almost like they're they are kind of trading places with Orlando being like, all right, let's be let's it's our turn on the treadmill of mediocrity. I think they could use another guy who can create off the dribble, right? Like that's the thing that they're really missing. They need like a second banana who's a wing or a guard. And and, and Pat Williams might wind up being that guy. It's it's early to tell, right? Like we don't know yet. Um this summer I would love to see them go out and get get someone that moves Sadaransky to the bench. I think having Sadoransky come off the bench would be great for them. I mean, that means you've really upgraded at that position. But they're not missing a ton. You know, they, they've got Thad Young, who, I, I mean, there's a reason why every team wanted to trade for him at the deadline last week. I, I love, obviously, Vucevic. Having Daniel Tice come off the bench, they were playing Tice and, and Vuce together. That was a little weird, I thought, last night. It was well, so weird. Was, but, but Tice's ability to at least take those shots, and Vuce is a good three-point shooter, it makes it a little less clunky. It's more on the defensive it's end. Better than Boston playing Tristan it. Thompson and Tice together. <laughs> I like that. Well, it's better than Boston playing Tristan Thompson, period. Oh, but fair, fair. That's all. Well, other. yeah, because two useful players is better than just yeah. one, right? So I, I, I like the moves, and I love the Troy Brown Jr. pickup. That's going to be huge for them next year. Like, the Bulls are exciting, right? Like, they have, like, a, a much brighter future, and I think a large part of it was because of this one trade. It's now. How do we feel about Orlando? <laughs> you see, because this is the tricky part, right? Because my natural tendency is to to say, okay, well, they had really, really bad injury luck this year. They would have likely made the playoffs if they had stayed healthy. I think. I think that's a safe assumption to make. They they lost three good players. Yeah, and we we can we can yeah. split hairs, especially this yeah. season. I mean, who right. knows? But they had some bad injury luck, and this is a team that has has eschewed tanking for the most part in in this run, and now they're clearly tanking. Right? They are they are trying to get the best draft pick they can get. They made these moves. They they, you know, now have a war chest. What does their future look like? I mean, this summer they're probably they're hoping for the number one pick and Cade Cunningham, obviously. But then what? Well, I think is that This has been a franchise that's. It's like, hey, we need a superstar, not a star, a superstar, you know, and they they, they had guys that tried to fill that role, Aaron Gordon, Vucevic, and and, 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 and and all of that, but they're not superstars. Like, they need that player that you get in the draft with one or two and, and, and go like, okay, this is our guy. Like, we're riding him for the next eight years or however long with restricted free agency. Math not being my strong suit. That's why we have Seth. Um, the But we're riding him with this franchise. He's going to be our face. We're going to go. Let's get behind him and go. Like, they got a bunch of nice pieces around them when they're healthy. You know, Markel Fultz has shown flashes. Jonathan Isaacs, one healthy, and I hope he can stay healthy for a long period. Looked like a not only an uh, all-defensive player, almost looks like a guy that can be a candidate for all-defensive player of the year at some point. You know, they, they have, like, small pieces around it, but they need the one guy. They need that engine, that thing to make it go. And I think that's that's what they're looking for, and that's why they got a tank. I, that's Here's my concern. 
here's my concern. They're stuck in the rebuild cycle. And even though they've had some some successful playoff runs here, right? Like they've, they've made the playoffs a couple years. Jonathan Isaac's extension is about to kick in, coming off the, another knee injury. Markel Fultz has an extension about to kick in. Now, this isn't a team that's spending a ton of money in free agency. It, for some reason, it, you know, people don't want to live near Disney. But they are in a position where they do have all these draft assets and they have good young players. It, it's just that the path forward for them just seems littered with bad luck. When I look, when I look at this extension that John Isaac signed, it's a fair extension if he doesn't get hurt. But the fact that he got hurt, it, it immediately makes that contract iffy, doesn't it? Yes, but after next year, they're actually they're they're in a spot where they're they don't have a ton of like stuff backed up. And that, that that's as much why it was time to hit the reset button now is they kind of kept these moves trying to get a little better, a little better and lock themselves into a 40 win team. And then two pieces get hurt and you have no way to get better. And, you know, guys are starting to age out. Guys are, you know, uh, Fournier obviously was not going to resign there. It seems like uh, Aaron Gordon quite publicly didn't want to be there anymore. So at a certain point, you just got to say, okay, we really wanted to see what we had here. Reality kind of slapped us in the face. We got to, you know, we're, we have to get worse before we get better. There's just no other way to do it because, you know, we've got these, you know, the, the random Terrence Ross contract on the book books that for the next new couple of years that, that keeps us from doing stuff. We have, you know, Vucevic makes a lot of money. You've got these, the, these extensions kicking that you just mentioned that on their own are fine. But when you start stacking them with all, with these other eight figure contracts, now you're up at, you know, you're up at a hundred, 110 million and nothing much to show for it. So I think getting almost getting a jump start on it by doing it in season, maybe even accelerates their timeline by, by a, a year. Um, now it's still a you know a two three four year timeline, but they they you know it's uh, the, the the Shawshank line get busy living get busy dying like <laughs> yeah you know this that that they were going a certain way with this roster so they flipped it and let's try to try again. Well, let's look at the bright side, okay? I I don't know how you guys feel about Cole Anthony. We didn't get a huge look at him you know, at UNC or really this season, but I thought he showed flashes this year. And I I think Steve Clifford is a hell of a point guard coach. So I think Cole Anthony is going to wind up being a pretty good player for them. We all know how, how strongly I feel about Markel Fultz. And I I think that that guy has got some real dynamic playmaking. And and as long as he comes back healthy, it's a great situation for them. John Isaac is, you know, what, 22 years old. And, And if he's healthy coming back from that knee, you look around, they picked up R.J. Hampton at the deadline. That's another player that I think is going to be really good. They've made some good moves here. They've made some good draft picks. Um, it's just, they, I think they're just missing that one guy. And, and so if you were going to put in your chips and, and try to move up in this draft or, or try to tank for a better position, this was the draft to do it. The next couple of years, right? Like this is the perfect time to tank. So I think Orlando kind of pulled the ripcord, you know, on, on their playoff hopes at the right time. I mean, there weren't any playoff hopes. They were they were already – the way they were trending this season. <laughs> they were still no, – they, they were hoping. No, they weren't. They no, were they still weren't. hoping for play-in. Don't look at their record. <laughs> they weren't even anywhere near the play-in at the point when they made the trade. It was, you know, like they're not they, – they, they were tanking by accident. There's, they're three games behind Chicago. Yeah, they got a couple of wins. They beat Clippers. We went into it, Dave. No, but like they were, <laughs> they kind of just were, were were almost tanking by accident. Now it's on purpose. I, yeah, I, the I, choice was made for them for this season, and then then realizing that, you know, like we just said, it, it was the end of the line for this group. So rather than just kind of let it peter out, let's you know. I got one trade I want to talk yeah. about though, Dave. So sorry, Seth. Okay, I'm cutting you off. No. But, no. It, that's okay. Everybody's been going in on the, the the Miami Heat and how big of a trade Nemanja Belica Belica has been and and and, and all it is going to be for this team. Like I was lukewarm when when I think you said it during the 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 live pod, but like I just don't feel it, man. Like I don't feel like he's. I know what he did in Minnesota. I know what he, I know Sacramento wasn't using him that much, and 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 all of that stuff. I just don't think that trade's really going to move the needle for that team. It might. 
right? It, it, de- it depends on the rest of the team, but I'm he's a better player than the perception of him is. I mean, and he's got some of that Sacramento Kings well, I'm talking about even on in him. Minnesota, it just the guy is, he's like he's just not. Mm-hmm. He's I yeah, would be surprised and, if he gets DMPs come playoff time. Well, and it wouldn't shock me either. But I will say he's a, he's a pretty good player that that kind of fills that Jay Crowder role pretty nicely because he will shoot. He's a really good defender. He's big. I mean, he could play small ball five for them. Did you say he's a really times. good defender? He's a good defender. All right. Yeah, he's a good defender. He's a good defender. Okay. okay. Yeah. He's an okay oh, And defender. the metrics back it up. He's, he's a good okay defender. defender. He's not Draymond Green. Nobody is. I'm not even saying Draymond Green. Guys, Draymond <laughs> being pedantic here. But I mean, but, but, but good being a good <laughs> defender is, is – But Draymond didn't is, even is Draymond. putting it, uh, uh, I think, a little bit high. I just don't think that – He's a, he's a, a good defender. That I'm, he's an okay defender. It's just a trade I'm not really as like – everybody was like, oh, it's not Oladipo. It's Nemanja. Like that's going to be the big piece for them. I'm like, nah, dog. It's not – you know you know the most important thing for Miami is? Goran Dragic. He needs to be healthy. Mm-hmm. That's it. If whatever is going to happen in Miami, it's going to be based on Nor- Goran Dragic's health. Well, no, they, they, I mean, Dragic and Butler and Bam, they need all three of those guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm just assuming those yeah. guys will be fine because yeah, yeah, yeah. they've been fine. It's Dragic who's been in and right. out of this lineup where I'm like, right. God damn. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'm right. There we go. Take a shot. <laughs> okay. Uh, has the uh, the national championship game been played yet? I'm not sure. <laughs> no, it's next. It's, it's, it's next. Okay. Week. It's Monday. Okay. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City, with David, a sculptor, and his wife Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son Evan continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Well, uh, you know, it is March Madness time, and uh, <laughs> I've had no time to watch any of it. Um, but it, it does bring up an interesting topic for us because we often talk about how front offices and, you know, coaching staffs make mistakes, and, and a lot of it has to do with recency bias. And there's no better example of recency bias than the NCAA tournament. And I know that you guys, you know, working for teams – you spent a lot of time working on the draft. I mean, we've talked about the hours and hours of film that Moe's had to cut the night before the draft and, and you know, the weeks leading up to the draft as you're getting ready for the playoffs. So I want to talk about overscouting the NCAA tournament because it seems like it happens less than it used to, but it certainly still happens, guys. Yes. I think the biggest danger is not so much that the kind of the – dedicated scouts kind of overindulge in the NCA. It's such a high salience moment that it's not the first time, but maybe one of the biggest times that people higher up the organizational ladder might have to get a look at these guys. And whether that's someone on the coaching staff, uh, someone in ownership, like those, uh, or, or an advisor to ownership, like people whose opinions will carry weight in the, in the decision process. Um, that's where you more worried about, you know, a guy having a, a good tournament run and just getting that exposure. Um, you know, I think we're, I mean, frankly, from the way some of the public discussion is going, and I think teams will 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 avoid this, but, you know, Gonzaga has been so good and Jalen Suggs has been so good that people are like, oh, Jalen Suggs should be the number one pick. It's like, no, nah, it's still Cade. Um, like, he, he, 
it's let's, let's not like the guy's playing with a with a with a with a G League quality team already. So he's getting he's getting a better opportunities than anybody else. And let's not overlook everything else we know we know about him just because his team is curb stomping everybody. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like I, it, my first year in the league when the NCAA tournament was coming up, and I was really just as an intern doing all the draft prep. That's part of the reason why I don't watch college basketball is I've I've watched thousands and thousands of hours of college basketball for 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 years, and I'm done. Um, but like I used to ask, like, all right, well, what are we doing in the tournament? Like, where are scouts going for the tournament? And it was like, no, no, they all just get in the conference room and we fire up the TVs and watch them together because it's not like you're getting that much. At this point, if you're making your draft evaluation off the NCAA tournament, you're screwed. You've, you've screwed up the draft. You're done. And, 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 and it's not like a major, major piece. It's there's things in there. You're going to look at, you're going to watch it. You want to see how guys respond to things and so on. But like Cade Cunningham getting knocked out early, isn't going to affect his draft stock because the teams already know what he can do. I, I think there is, there's one area where it might be helpful. And that's the, that's the, the small conference guy who you want to get more. If, if like, that's almost a way that it's that that a guy can legitimately rise is, and I think that you know Steph Curry saw this his second to last year at uh, at Davidson when he you know went off on some really good teams. It's like okay, we're worried about this guy being you know too small and, and being able to handle elite athleticism. Okay, he just went crazy on Kansas, so you know, and and you know did it the round before and the round right. before, so that at least answers some of those questions or gives us a better look at some of those questions that we might have had. But that's still something you got to be very careful of because, you know, a guy could get hot for a couple of games and make a bunch of jump shots and get himself overdrafted. I do think it is useful, though, for these guys at small colleges. Like, I mean, obviously, you always want to see them against the best competition that you can get, but it definitely adds more to the to the picture when you do get to see, you know, Steph Curry at Davidson play against Kansas because the athleticism – is is hugely different between those top yeah. tier D one schools and a school like Davidson or or Elon or something. Yeah, like that's that. a good point that Seth makes in that thing. I just think people on the outside tend to look at the NCAA tournament as the end all be all of these people's draft stock, and and you'll see it on the the debate shows and things. Did so and so hurt their draft stock, or did they help their draft stock? And it's like. No, I, I think I think Franz Wagner probably hurt me, but that's you know, yeah, that's you, know, <laughs> I mean, it, it, the, the, you can do it right, but yeah. like it's not, it's it, it's really just such a piece of the puzzle. Like I always say around the draft time, it's everything. It's all a puzzle. All of it kind of comes together, and it's and to me, it's like not even a big piece. It's it's just a relatively small piece if you've done your due diligence. Now the smaller. College guys is a different story, but I'm just talking like the main guys and the 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 guys that teams have been watching all year. It doesn't it doesn't make that big of a difference. Is there anything to the idea that that playing in you know your your conference tournament and the NCAA tournament is more like playoff basketball, and, and maybe you can see you know th- oh this guy's got a different mindset or or something like that I mean, is that something that comes no, up in conversations in front offices I, no? I, I think it's the opposite actually because the big thing about about playoff basketball is prep time and especially in like a conference tournament like it's okay you you played last night play tonight play tomorrow and there's just like well uh you guys saw him play last night so you know what he wants to do and there's not really you know the same kind of you know he likes to snake snake pick and rolls when he goes left and that, that kind of nitty gritty you can get into in playoff prep for a team. So it, I think it's the, the pressure maybe, but like the the technical aspects of it that make playoffs different, completely not. And it goes one step further even. You only play this team once, right, in the tournament, and that's it. The You play the team in the game one of the playoffs, you play the team in game two in the playoffs, and game three, what you were doing, they've taken away. Like there's an element to that of, of that. And so it's really kind of that stuff is tough to judge. And I don't know if there's a way – to really figure it out. I think that's why some of the, the, the European guys, it's easier to kind of look at when they're in those, those tournaments and the, those championships, mm-hmm. you got it. You get a little bit of it. It's not the same intensity or anything like that, but you can get a sense of, okay, they know, you know, like 
look what Luca was able to do because they all knew this shot was coming and they still couldn't stop it kind of stuff. And I think that's that's something like that. I don't think anybody in the front office has ever – I've never heard it. We, we all we all remember the guys who move up and it's a bad thing. Uh, what did you say, Johnny Seth? Flynn. Johnny <laughs> one, Flynn. Moved up one draft slot for every overtime that, that, they, that the Syracuse played the Big East tournament that year. Yeah, and, and but there are guys that I think move up, and it winds up being the right move. Like Kemba Walker always comes to mind. I, Kemba Walker's uh, senior year, that run in the Big East tournament and the NCAA tournament is one of the like one of my favorite basketball runs of anybody. I mean, it was just it was incredible. He was must watch TV for that whole time, and it, that certainly boosted his draft stock. Was there anyone else that you guys can think of that it was like okay? He really showed us in the tournament that he's he's a better player than we knew. Nobody, you can nobody, say no. nobody it's comes okay. to mind. I mean, it's fine. Yeah, and nobody, yeah, no, nobody comes to mind. I will say that that in sort of the the one and done era, there is a little bit to be said as well for okay, a guy comes in as a seventeen year old freshman maybe, and he's one thing. Seeing the difference between that. And the end of the season, like the last couple of games of the regular season, the conference tournament, the the uh, the, the NCAA's, uh, like seeing some growth is is a good thing because you know we one of the 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 biggest like misnomers of draft analysis is this guy could come in and give you minutes in an NBA game tonight. No, he couldn't. Yeah. Like uh, so, they're they're gonna anyone who's gonna make it has to get a lot better. And so, seeing someone who's gotten a lot better from October. To March is a reasonably good sign that they that that they'll get better from March to next November, which is what you what you need, and then from that on throughout their career. So that is something that's worth watching. But then again, that's not just that's not something you see in one or two NCAA games. That's something you see in like last couple conference games and the conference tournaments into the NCAs, and then into kind of the the the, the pre draft stuff with like the combine and. And workouts as much as maybe we don't like workouts um, in heading towards the draft. Yeah, Seth nailed it. I don't have nothing else to add. Yeah, perfect. Um, We're getting along too well today. No, this is well. No, this is you fools. No, no, you interrupted me earlier. You interrupted me earlier, and I begged for the cat to attack you. And so I don't know how well we're getting along. It's just. I don't know. I feel like you guys are going to team up against me, and and that doesn't doesn't oh, we've bode been well for either day. one don't of you guys. Oh, okay, days coming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, don't worry. Yeah, I got vacation coming up, so we'll see how that goes. Are you struggling to close deals? B two B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash show 23 That's linkedin.com slash show 23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash show 23 and get started. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Uh, another thing that that has kind of been on our mind, and Seth, you wrote about this over at the Athletic on your analytical look around the other day. Uh, crunch time. Everybody's talking about it. Nobody knows what it is. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so the crunch time stuff in the league this year has been really interesting, and, and you can see a, a difference now from from the start of the season. 
I think teams are starting to to get a little bit more established and and kind of understand what they need to do at the end of games. The practice, mm-hmm. the no practice issue, the no training camp issue has has been a a, a real problem this season. Uh, there have been time and score things that I just haven't seen in the NBA. Marcus Smart the other night with the, <laughs> the jump ball. <laughs> Yeah. Shot clock violation. And look, man, that stuff happens all yeah. the time. It's basketball. I've coached I've coached players that have scored on the wrong basket to start. Yeah, that happens, Dave, in in high school in Europe, in, in, high school. in lower leagues in Europe and things like that. <laughs> that does that. That's not supposed to happen in an NBA game. Like, come on, man. Like, wh- yeah. I saw that and was like, what? Yeah, I, I mean, I was watching Dallas and, and Boston and. Dallas is up for Josh Richardson for some reason. You know, there's like 11 seconds left. And for some reason, he's trying to dribble the ball in traffic, turns it over, and Boston gets a gets a bucket out of it. And, you know, Dallas winds up winning that game. But it's just – that's the kind of stuff that just shouldn't happen down the stretch and for NBA teams. No, there's an element of just not smart basketball sometimes. I mean, there are situations I've seen where a team's up one and all they got to do is run out the clock and the guy goes, takes the layup, you know, and, and it's like, no, dude, run out the clock, man. <laughs> you know, like you're, you're in the position, make them foul, you eat up time uh, and, and, and all of those things. So I think there's, there's all, first off, everybody's got a million different philosophies and how they will handle things in crunch time i'm sure somebody just listened right now going like no be get be up three you know it's better than being you know all that like i get all there's a million things so uh it's just interesting to see how some of this goes for me my bigger thing is watching how the coaches use their timeouts because the most valuable weapon in those timeouts is being able to advance the ball and sometimes like in a a crunch crunch time game i'll see a coach use a timeout with a minute 30 left and i'm like no dude that's killing you and then i get excited when i see a game where there's 20 seconds left and the team that's down has the two timeouts i'm like oh this gives them a little more options and a little more flexibility of what they could run down the stretch yeah that that timeout usage sort of plays into sort of it's something that that uh obviously came up a lot in sort of the tournament announcing as well uh but the notion that hey you don't need a three here Yes, you do. If there's any, if there's ever a situation that that comes up where an announcer is saying they don't need a three here, they've needed a three for thirty seconds already. It's, <laughs> it's you know, with ve- uh, you know, very rare kind of kind of exceptions to it. Um, yeah, it's it is. Uh, uh, yeah. So, sometime friend of the show, Daryl Blackport, uh, just just uh, created a, a little app that uh, allows you to plug a time and score into to know. Okay, you can assume what percentage the three pointer is with this time and score. How high a percent would would the would the two pointer need to be? And it's something like if you're down uh, three with ten seconds left, you know, oh, you can get a quick two here. Assume you're a thirty percent three point shooter. You'd need like an eighty something percent two pointer for it to be as good for your win probability. If you have an, a play that'll get you an eighty percent two pointer, why are you waiting till now? Right, right. right. Yeah. My, so my, only, it's, it, my question for you about that app, does it account for timeouts? No. So it, it like, yeah. So that's, I mean, that those are timeouts, relative strength of teams, all those things do kind of, but it's sort of just like a, you know, the straight neutral math of it and adjust from there. Um, and, you know, by and large teams play to quote, extend the game way more frequently than they should. Like the goal is not to get to overtime. The goal is to win. And uh, you know, you still lose half the time in overtime. So, you know, you getting to overtime is not some great feat. And especially in a season where games are so close together, like getting to overtime and losing is almost a loss in a quarter because now you've played all your guys an extra five minutes and you're getting on the plane late and, and all that fun stuff. Why are we still debating fouling up three? Like, yeah, why that's... is that still something that's like, I wonder if they're going to foul up three. It, there shouldn't be a wonder. It, the wonder should be, I wonder if they're going to forget to foul I think up three. Not if they're going to call No, the, the execution is harder than the theory. I will say that. With as, of course. As, with certainly. as good as NBA players have gotten at like rising up and creating contact on jump shots. And how it's like, officiated. <laughs> yeah. Like that's that becomes – it, it becomes very dicey 
Uh, and it's also, I mean, that's, that is a difference between college also since, since the guy who's catching the ball in that spot in the NBA game is an 80% foul shooter probably. Right. College game, he's a 68% foul shooter. Even if you foul him, meh. You're fine. You know, he's, <laughs> he's, yeah, he's, he's going to miss one. So, so I think <laughs> yeah. that, that there is, you know, the the uh, the execution of it is more difficult. Now, the, the spot where it drives me crazy is a lot of teams still run a play where they, like, have their post player catch the ball at the elbow and run some action off him. Just run him over. <laughs> if you're Like, if you're up three, just run right. him over. Send that guy to the line. You win the game. That was my problem with the Utah loss to the Jazz – I mean, to the Sixers in, in – overtime right before the all-star break is you know Embiid was able to tie the game with the three he started with the ball in the mid post it should should have just been an automatic foul I I will say that he caught the ball with like there was like 18 seconds or something when he caught the ball so that's a it's a little bit of a you did have to go to the clock right yeah you got it yeah but, yeah. but you got it you got it at this point like you can't let him just start going getting back to this now granted he hit it Tough ass shot. Yeah, uh, it was. It was. <laughs> I'm not trying shot. to be. Yeah. You know, I'm be too hard yeah. on it. But like we see it all the time. Like we've seen the the Celtics run the play right where they throw it cross court on the sideline out of bounds to Smart or something in the post and and they kick it out to the uh, excuse me whoever's coming out for the three. And I'm like, yeah, it's everything Seth said's right. Foul right there. That's an automatic just put them on the defensive line. pass interference doesn't hurt you in that spot. no it's it doesn't matter the yardage doesn't matter they don't get yeah. the ball there <laughs> uh so there's there's all these bad crunch time things and then there's damian lillard and there's just not an explanation to do whatever the hell he wants period um, <laughs> Yeah, Seth, in your article, you wrote about about the expected win percentage of teams entering crunch time. And Charlotte and Portland are overwhelmingly winning more games than they should in crunch time. And, and you know, <laughs> Portland is only doing it because of Damian Lillard. That, that's literally like you can point and you can say this guy in crunch time is unlike any other. Play. The only guy that comes close to him in crunch time is Nikola Jokic. He's the only guy. And he doesn't do it with the degree of difficulty that Damian Lillard does. Because Jokic finds a small and he gets that post up and obviously that's a bucket. Damian Lillard is pulling up from 30. He's snaking pick and rolls and taking threes. And that guy is just completely unstoppable under five minutes in a five-minute game. I don't. I can't wrap my head around that. So – Wild stat for you on this. Uh, there's a website called Inpredictable, which is which which has a model that uh, does win probability based on time and score stuff like that. Um, he's got uh, Mike Bowie is is the the guy's name who runs it. He has a stat called win probability added, which is basically like yeah, if you take a shot or turn the ball over, or do something, what is the change in the win probability for your team from one moment to the next based on that? Over the last two years, and I haven't looked at it today, but over the last two years. Damian Lillard has added something like 17 wins worth of win probability with his kind of clutch time play to like, that's just a stupid, enormous, gigantic number. Like that's, you know, you eight wins a year is the difference between, you know, making the playoffs and home court yeah. in, in some years. Um, and it, frankly, it's, it, it's actually kind of the difference for Portland this year. They're in non-clutch situations. They're under 500. They are, can I drop the stat now, Dave? Yeah, do it. So Portland is has like a sixty two percent winning percentage this year on the season. They've been outscored by ten points. The last time a team had a sixty percent winning percentage while being outscored on the season was nineteen fifty three fifty four. Oh, basketball! Basketball was all, really good. The golden age. Yeah, the 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 the, the, the nineteen fifty three fifty four New York Knicks of uh, of of Harry the Horse Gallatin. Uh, won like 43 games despite being outscored on the season. Um, Look, real hoopers remember. So. Yeah. So, but that's that's just the the impact of, of Lillard on these close games, how much kind of better than their overall play the Blazers record is. And you, because it's the second year in a row he's done it, you don't even want to say, well, that's fluky. They're going to come back down to earth. With like Charlotte – who is massively outperforming their clutch time play anyway, they're shooting 50% in the clutch from three. So it's like, okay, well, that's not something that we're going to keep going. Um, but for yeah. Portland, it, there's Charlotte's a, a little bit more fluky. Yeah. Why it's yeah. called Dame time. <laughs> Portland it's is Dame, Dame time, guys. It's Dame time. 
I've just never seen can anything we like that. Can we and, petition you know, the league to change the clutch, clutch stat to just Dame time stats? I mean, it's something. It, it, there's, I don't know what it is about him. I mean, he, it's almost like a life hack. Like he's just figured out, you know what? I, I'm going to trust the numbers here and, and the percentages and my own ability. And, and it just works out every single freaking time. I, that's the scariest thing in the world. And, and I think that when you, when you look ahead to the playoffs, it's part of why I always give Portland more of a chance than maybe I ought to, because Damian Lillard is just a fact. He's going to be a factor in any single game he's in, especially if he, if they can keep it close and they now have the talent that they can pretty much keep it close with anybody. And so you get into a lot of these toss-up games where maybe Dame hasn't had a great game. That's okay because they got him to the last five minutes and then, you know, he becomes Superman. So uh, I don't really know what you do about that. I mean, obviously it hasn't resulted in a championship yet, but I mean, you're telling me that maybe this year Dame couldn't get super hot in the playoffs and – yeah, it's not going to happen. Uh, well, as we wrap up, uh, what are you guys looking ahead to this week? Sorry, Portland. Damn. Jeez. <laughs> Go, Seth, as you already crushed Portland. Go, Seth, what are you looking at? Uh, no, I'm going to – I'm still going to – like, you know, we, we mentioned uh, the, the Nuggets starting to get some <laughs> some uh, higher quality opposition that they're <laughs> – they're going. So that's what I'm looking forward to. It's not Portland. Not Portland. You're not going to be checking out Portland yeah, some more. The Nuggets. <laughs> Good boy. Damn. Just close. Uh, what about you, Mo? Well, I was going to watch Portland, but I guess what they don't you, have Mo? much of a chance. So I'm not really going to watch them. <laughs> you know, Dave, I don't really have anything. I'm just kind of going to watch hoops and see what what pops off. I don't. I don't have any one thing right now. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just I'm really watching the, the the middle of the pack. It's so jumbled, and, and I think over the course of the next few weeks, we're really going to see some separation. I mean, we're already seeing it post deadline with the teams that have decided, hey, it's not our year. Uh, Shea Gildas Alexander shut down. Probably, I would guess, it's going to wind up being the rest of the season. They're going to look at him again later on. We're going to watch a lot of the Thunder, which I know is a weird thing to say, but you know, I talked to Andrew Schleck too much. And he's got me excited uh, about some of their young guys. Moses Brown. Moses Brown is awesome, by the way. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to really dig in on him. Nice. Thanks Uh, for reading my power rankings. That's that's nice, dude. Oh, yeah. I did not read your power (laughs) rankings. I'm sorry, Mo. But the the Oklahoma City Thunder have some fun stuff going on. So I'm going to try to dig in on them a little bit. Uh, That's going to do it for this week, folks. Thanks for listening, as always. For Seth and for Mo, I'm Dave. We'll be back next week with another episode of Nerdist She Wrote right here on the Athletic NBA Show.